listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. All right, so Jeff, today is a first in that it is a second. Did that come out right? It is a first in that it is a second. Man, you are, you know how to turn a phrase. I don't know, but it stumbled out of the block pretty badly. I so that was pretty uh, good. we're going to have our own Jack Hanna today. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Big fan of Jack Hanna, by the way. If you don't know who he is, look him up. D- d- Google Jack Hanna slash David Letterman and see what you find. You'll get a good laugh. So, no, we don't have Jack Hanna today. We have with us actually the, our first ever return guests. So the first time we've ever invited anybody back. And the privilege is ours, actually, to have Brian Caffarelli back with us today. So, Brian, welcome back to Rattle and Pedal. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jeff. I wish I would have brought some wildlife here to make it <laughs> possibly a lemur. Yeah, right. To make the Hannah metaphor complete. But thank you very much for having me. I'm very honored. I- I'm honored to be invited, period, and extremely honored to be invited back. Thank you. When we chose today's topic, you were the first person that came to our list. It was like, oh, we got to get Brian on to talk about this. So, so really what we're going to talk about is key account management, but we're going to talk about one side of that. And we're really going to talk about new logos. I'm using quotation marks that nobody can see. Really about sort of the pursuit strategies around new logos and, and what that should look like inside of a firm. And Jeff, maybe you can share some of the, a bad example of what you've seen. And I, maybe I'll do the same as a setup because I think that's kind of fun or Brian, you as well, but just, you know, what have you seen firms do in this area? Cause I've seen some not so good attempts. Keep rolling, buddy. I want to hear what you've seen. Oh boy. So I, I try to ask a question. He pins it back at me. So, okay. <laughs> well, what I tend to see is either there isn't one, there is no key account strategy. Yeah. Or that's very a, common. Yeah. Or there's a list of companies, but it's sort of haphazard. It's someone said, hey, we should work with Pepsi because they're big and they have money. And there's really no thought process as to why. Or maybe someone knows somebody at Delta and hence we're going to try to work with Delta, right? So there's, again, so the, the, the reason why is maybe a little bit fleeting in that it's just a personal relationship and that's great, but it doesn't mean necessarily that we're the right fit for them or them for us. So, or I see lists, there's lists of companies, but there's no real clear action items, not clear who owns what, who's going to do anything about it. That's what I've seen. And I've, what, what have I missed that you guys have seen? Jason, just to your point, I used to work for a gentleman who asked me, Hey, do you play the lottery? And I said, no, I don't play the lottery. And he's like, don't play it here at work either. Your pursuit strategy can't be based on just playing the lottery. You've got to be a lot more intentional and purposeful and think about it in a, in a much more systematic way. And so I always think sometimes when I'm doing it wrong, I'm playing the lottery, which yeah. I don't play the lottery with my own money. I don't want to play the lottery with my employer's money. Wow. That's a great analogy. All right. So how do we not play the lottery? So let's, let's do that. Although maybe we want to play the lottery. What's the jackpot, <laughs> Jeff? So all right, Sorry, I got distracted. <laughs> So where do we start? So so I guess where I'd like to start with you and when we did the kind of setup for this is just what does a proper account prospect list look like? How do you build a good one? Not just a list of companies that you like because they're big or think they have great brands, but what does a good list look like and how do you build one? What what should go into that decision-making process? You know, how about this? I've got a couple of ideas that might work. I bet you can shape them into suggestions, but I feel like in my experience, there's a couple of ideas that have worked over and over and over again. And the first might be to start with the end in mind. You know, as you think about creating 
a list of key accounts to pursue. One way to think about this is what is the end relationship? What's the end game that we're after as a firm with our accounts? You know, if we were to realize the full potential of a particular account, what would it look like? What would be best for us? What would be best for the firm, for the customer, for the client that we secure? What's that end game look like? And we only want to pursue those particular accounts that can manifest themselves in that end game. For a firm that Jeff and I used to work for, you know, that end game was a collection of, you know, three out of four key services. And what we thought was if we could secure three out of these four key services, the way these services work together, there'd be an incredible synergy there where the value of the sum of the three services would be greater than the value of each. And it would provide greater value, synergistic value to the client, which is fantastic. It would provide synergistic value to us internally. It would create a predictable, forecastable, controlled revenue stream over a fairly long contract period. You know, we feel secure as a provider. I think our client would feel like they're safe. And, you know, the financials around that agreement would allow us to continually invest in the client. You know, back in the day, Jeff, that we're talking about, I think the term was surprising and delighting the client. But it would also help us to continue to invest in our team. So the team that was serving the client would continue to grow and grow and grow. So that would be the end game. And for starters, when we would begin to think about clients that we want to pursue, our thought process was, could they ultimately evolve into the end game? And if they couldn't, meaning maybe they weren't large enough, maybe they didn't have the problems that we solve, maybe they were entrenched with a competitor that we felt it was too difficult to dislodge. They couldn't just evolve into the end game that we were after. They kind of went off to the side. They weren't key targets there. So we started with number one, and I'll stop after this. We started with the end in mind. And the end in mind is a function of the the relationship that you'd like to have with them. Right, right. And And think about a commercial relationship, the commercial relationship we want to have. Yeah, not the personal relationship, not the uh, let's go play golf on Sundays. Right. Okay. In that story you told us, how how did you think about the elements of that relationship? Like what came into the box for that, if that makes sense? So I think the the next place that we take it is there are certain problems that a firm, professional services firm, solves really, really well, as well as or better than anyone. And, you know, our next step there was, do these potential clients have the problems? Do they have the problems that we serve as well or better than anyone. You know, there's always problems that you serve pretty well, you're okay, I think we could stretch to solve these problems. But then there are certain problems that you're just aligned to, that you solve better than anyone. And do the clients that you're thinking about pursuing, do they likely have the problems that you solve better than anyone? If they do, awesome. We should find ourselves in a powerful or relatively advantaged position to try to help that particular client. And if they don't, you know, we're playing somebody else's game. You know, they might not be the problems that we solve better than anyone, but there's a competitor. For a competitor, those are the perfect problems for that competitor, and we'd always be chasing. So we'd want to filter our potential prospect list using that perspective. Do they likely have the problems that we solve better than anyone? If yes, awesome. Let's keep moving forward. And if no, well, there's some tough decisions to make there. Brian, who's asking that question or answering 
that question because in most firms, I think the mindset is, well, let's sell the work. We'll figure out how to do it later, but let's just sell the work. And, you know, that gets the juices flowing for a lot of consultants, you know, that problem they've never solved before. But in a key account situation, that just doesn't make sense. And I love the way you you said it. You were always chasing when you chose the clients where you knew the value that yeah. you brought was not the value that was sought. Yeah. Well said, Jeff. Let me just start with something that you and Jason both said as we were preparing as it relates to the key account strategy. By the nature of it becoming a key account, that likely means that all of the firm's resources will be aligned towards and be prepared to support both the pursuit and the ongoing services of that account. So that means that there's going to be sort of a maybe a couple things. A, a significant cost of sale for us to make sure that we realize the full potential of that account. So probably a significant cost of sale. And an organizational dedication, organizational energy put into that. And we are committed to ultimately realizing the full potential of that account. So to say, let's just try to sell it and then we'll figure it out. You know, I don't don't know that we want to organize the firm and the firm's resources towards a, well, let's just figure it out situation. And a let's just figure it out situation means that that doesn't speak well to the odds of us ultimately realizing the full potential of that account. So, you know, there had to be hard decisions made there. You know, that takes people saying, at least at the key account level, that there are problems that we solve really well, and there are problems that we don't. Sometimes that's hard to say that there are problems that we don't solve really well. Uh, I'll just say the clients that I feel like I'm fortunate enough to work with that I really, really admire, when they go through this exercise, they're looking at both ends of the ledger. By saying we solve these problems exceptionally well, the proof is that we're willing to say we don't solve these problems as well. Yeah. And we're willing to win and lose on the problems that we solve exceptionally well. And I think that takes a lot of courage to be able to say that, but I think it instills a level of organizational confidence, ultimately, and that confidence sometimes is transmitted to the client that you're pursuing. And a lot of times clients are attracted to and buy that confidence. We figure it out. There just isn't as much confidence and we'll figure it out. And I think a lot of times smart clients, maybe all clients, would say, I can sense the lack of confidence there. And I don't feel good about buying that. I buy confidence, not arrogance, but confidence. I'm not sure I want to buy, we can figure that out. I think that is spot on. And confidence comes from competence. So the more competent you are, the more confident you're going to be. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hear you saying. And when I think about key account programs that I've been exposed to, whether it's at the employers that I've worked for or the consulting clients I work with, The fundamental flaw in most key account programs is this point, is they're not smart about the value that they provide, and there's no alignment in the organization about who we will pursue, who we won't pursue, and why. It sucks all the oxygen out of a key account program, and it becomes just a a matter of 
well, these are the ones we've selected and we're going to go after them. Oh, and if something pops up, then we'll really pursue it. But yeah. what's what's critical, I think, in key account programs is you move from new logos to, you know, existing clients where you're landing and expanding is how are you going to allocate resources? You know, the, there are limited resources in professional services firms and allocating those resources are critical both for your professional services firm's performance, but the actual outcome based on the complexity of the issue that's being solved at at a given key account. But most organizations don't enter into that fray because those are hard decisions to make. So we've talked about a couple things as it relates to building that list. You know, you talked about what's the end game. You talked about getting clarity in the firm about what problems you solve really well. What else should go into that decision-making matrix? Maybe two things, Jason. One thing that, that I've always thought of, and then another one that, another idea that you shared with me that you've made me start to think a lot about. So the one that, that I've always thought of is the clients that should be on that list that we want to pursue in some way, shape, or form, we'd like them to become magnets that attract other organizations like them. I think there are some clients, some firms that we you might pursue to bring into your organization that once you have them, they're a magnet. They draw other firms. They draw other firms like them. Other firms like them, recognize them, respect them. They look up to them. Not only are they valuable just in and of themselves, the firm in and of themselves, but they're valuable because they're a powerful magnet that draws other firms in. And those firms really we should devote as much energy, time, effort, resources to bring those firms into our firm because they'll pull others in. We don't want them to go anywhere else. And then, Jason, you raised a really interesting point that you know got me thinking, and I'm not sure, at least in my work and in my history, I thought about this enough, the concept of cultural fit. And you talked about a client that as they put together their key account list, they focus on cultural fit, which is interesting. And I, I, I thought that's really a really, really important dimension and probably one I've never given enough thought to, but it's got to be critical. That cultural fit, I'm sure, and it takes friction out of the sale and it makes the ongoing relationships that much stronger because there's a natural fit there. Yeah, that particular client, what they have a good sense of that I really like is both the psyche of the buyers that they work with, the people that they work with who are really successful relationships for them, and then the broader culture of the organizations that they work within. And in this particular instance, there's frequently a a bit of a mismatch between the two. It's like this person that's sort of in a culture that makes them feel a little bit foreign to where they are. And that that's that's peculiar to to them. And for them, that's that's a a telltale sign of a good relationship. And they and they have you know, sort of archetype of that. So they know what those organizations from the outside in, or they have a, a way to look from the outside in and perceive what type of, of cultural organization that is so that it makes it easier to make that decision versus just because, I mean, you always, how do you know what a culture is? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If not there, how do you know? Well, I mean, obviously you have to have a way to do that. So, but yeah, I like that one. And I love the magnet too, by the way. I think that's a really great lens to have on this. Because to your point, when you laid it out, you said you're going to align all the firm's resource against pursuing, winning, and serving that client. So that notion of it being a magnet 
makes that investment make even more sense because you're not only winning a relationship that you value that has the end game you want, but it's going to bring with it all this other stuff potentially at some point that may be super critical to other things you're trying to do as a firm. So, You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. Anything else in this list that we should be thinking about that, that comes to mind for you that, that, you know, if you're building a key accounts list and you're trying to figure this out right now, what else should be on your radar? I know you're interviewing me, but I'd love to turn that question back around <laughs> to the two of you because I'd love to know my clients are struggling with this too. And I'm I keep thinking, like, what are we missing? I mean, we want to start with the end game in mind, for sure. We want to be clear on the problems that we solve better than anybody else. And within that construct of the problems we solve better than anybody else, I I, want to be clear, you know, sometimes we solve these problems better than anybody else for big clients, or we only solve these problems better than anybody else for domestic clients as opposed to global clients. So it's, it's problems that we solve, but problems that we solve for the market segment that we play in. We want to look at magnets, those that can draw others in. I think there's an aspect or element of cultural fit. Now, probably more than ever, we can begin to sort of glean some insights into the culture of the firms that we're pursuing. And if we're true, you know, if we have great intellectual honesty around our culture, we can probably begin to think about where there's a nice congruence. So those are four. What else should be on that list? I'll interject one. And I've experienced this, and I think this is is true of firms that have some size to them. And by size, I mean geographical reach. When you put together a key account program and you use the, the kind of criteria that we're talking about, different geographies are, have different demographic makeups in terms of their companies. This is why I think strategic alignment at the highest levels of the organization are so critical. What will be a key account in Milwaukee is not the same key account picture of one in New York or London or Hong Kong or someplace else. And when you're starting to make strategic allocation of resources, some of those smaller markets can feel like they're taking it on the chin and keeping the firm together and committed in in these type of pursuits can be a real challenge. For sure. I, I can tell you, I know I experienced that firsthand and, and I know some of my clients do as well. I mean, there are key accounts for the firm and some offices, just some geographies just might not house organizations, you know, just might not include organizations that might become key accounts for the firm. It just may not be. It just is. And, you know, that's something that I think firms need to wrestle with and and address. That doesn't mean there can't be a key, important, critical client relationship for Milwaukee, Jeff, to use your example. But that key, important, critical relationship for Milwaukee won't demand all of the firm's resources, just cannot demand all of the firm's resources aligned to serve it. That doesn't mean it's not important. It just 
can't demand all of the firm's resources aligned and committed in such a way to serve it. Uh, by nature, I think putting somebody on the key account list means somebody's not on the key account list. How have you dealt with that, Brian? I'd, I'd be curious to know, because that becomes kind of the Jenga, if you will, that gets pulled out that causes some key account programs to collapse because you start to lose support in those smaller geographic markets. And if those geographic markets reach a number that are greater than you know your big geographic markets, you can run into some serious cultural problems. Yeah. Now I think we're not really talking about key accounts as much as we're talking about firm leadership and, and firm direction and the way we work together to keep cohesion here. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, I think this is, I think there's a couple places to go here. And I think the two of you would have a really good perspective on this. You know, the way that work is today, more now more than ever, a client doesn't always need to be served by somebody who is walking distance or a car right away. And so let's just start there. Maybe some elements of geography aren't as important as they have used to be in the past. So that might be one thing. You know, another thing, I have a, a client I really love to work with there in the architectural and engineering space. And there's a gentleman there that always talks about their client base, uses the analogy of concrete as it relates to their client base. And the strongest concrete has the right mix of sand, pebbles, and rocks. You know, the strongest concrete isn't all rocks and it's not all sand. It's the right mix of sand, pebbles, and rocks. And that means, you know, if there are certain offices that contribute sand and pebbles, but they don't contribute rocks, those offices are incredibly important. And the clients in those offices are incredibly important. They're just not necessarily key accounts. They can never become rocks. But concrete, the strongest concrete, is the right mix of sand, pebbles, and rocks. And it's probably the genius of firm leadership to understand what that right mix of sand, pebbles, and rocks is. I thought you were spot on with your comments about geography and that I I think there it's probably firm specific. There are services that are need to be delivered more locally than others, but it would seem to me that geography is becoming less and less uh, criteria. But criterion, actually, I got that wrong. Let's transition here because we're coming up on time and I don't want to finish this this discussion without talking about what you do with a list once you have it. Because it's one thing to say, okay, you've had a really thoughtful approach to how you build this list. And now you've got 20 accounts that you really want to do business with for all the right reasons. What do you do now? Like, <laughs> what, what steps should be taken? How about this? Again, I'll throw this out as ideas and not necessarily suggestions, but these are ideas that I think have worked well, have worked well for the clients I've been uh, fortunate enough to observe and, and be a part of. And I, I think it's a couple of things. W one is, let's start with the pursuit of a key account probably has to be somebody's responsibility. It has to be a person's, it has to be somebody's responsibility. And that's got to be pinned on someone to secure that account. That's number one. I think number two is this organization is a key account because of its potential. And the pursuit of that key account isn't finished until we've realized the entire potential of that account. That's finished once we get, once we get a service and, oh my gosh, I'm sure it'll grow at some point in time. It's not finished until we realize the full potential, the end game. I think that's two. I think three is, you know, and I've heard 
the two of you talked about this before I, 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 and your guests have talked about this before. I really like this is that the sale is a lagging indicator. We need to think about what the leading indicators are to a sale and hold that person responsible for the pursuit to actually hitting leading indicators in a timely fashion. You know, I'm sure for the firms that you serve, the firms that I serve, the sales cycle for a, a large project at a key account is going to span a fiscal year. It's going to span a fiscal year. We can't, it just is. So it's hard to say, well, I'm holding you accountable for a sale in this particular fiscal year. The sales cycle is too long. The sale is too complex. We're starting from zero. But what I do need to hold you accountable for is critical leading indicators that we've agreed on that the sale is making progress, that that sales making demonstrable, measurable progress to the outcome that that we're all committed to. You know, I think the other thing just to sort of play this out is, you know, sometimes people think about, well, where do you start if we don't know anybody? Like, I just don't buy the we don't know anybody anymore. I mean, if we've got a strong definition of a key account, we understand the market, there's a synergy between the problems that organization likely has, the problems that we solve. There's a synergy between the market segments that we compete in and the market segment that that key account is in. Are you telling me we don't know anybody? You know, like this isn't a lottery ticket. We are focused on this account for lots of reasons. We know people there or we know people who know people there. And if we chose wisely and instilled a sense of organizational confidence in our sellers and we have created through our marketing efforts sort of a halo around what it is that we do our ip our content our persona the way we show up is all aligned to the type of account that we're trying to attract those conversations are easy to they're easier to start than people think they may be hard to finish, but they're easier to start than people think. And so then I think it's like, all right, game on. Let's just get started. Let's just get started. That is probably the most worthless piece of advice that's ever been said on this podcast. So I know I won't come back for a third, but, but I don't. I think sometimes people think it's harder than it is. If we select correctly and that selection is aligned to everything our firm stands for, wants to be, and communicates out into the marketplace. We know people there, and they know us. And that's the beginning of a conversation. I love that. It's, it's the just do it mentality. But you don't just do it. You have to prep. People right. confuse the hard work with the easy work. <laughs> they think the hard work is starting the conversation which is really the easy work because the hard work is making the strategic choices and rationalizing the pursuits before the pursuits have even begun. That's the homework. And that's what makes picking up the phone or reaching out so much easier. Right. And firms get that backwards. Right. Just to add to that prep, if we are intentional and purposeful and aligned on what the leading indicator to a sale is, the next thing we know is that what is the objective of that first conversation? Clearly, it's not to get a sale. I mean, who are we kidding? But that objective of the first conversation is, is what? And let's be aligned on what our objective is as it relates to the first conversation. And then that first conversation, all it's meant to do 
is to help us achieve our next step objective and put us on the pathway to the leading indicators that ultimately result in the lagging indicator, which is the first sale. And then that first sale becomes the leading indicator to the end game that we ultimately want to pursue. You know, I really like about some of the things you just said in that sequence was you talked about, we realized the full end game. And Jeff, I go back to the conversation we just had with Jeff and Jenna about kind of when they blew up sales and marketing and built the unified commercial engine. It's the sort of that idea of you're, you're not there until you actually are delivering at scale all of the annuity services and synergistic services that you envisioned in the first place. And so when you open the door and you get that first chance into the organization to help on a problem they have that you can solve, you're not there yet. And I think it's really important to, to put a big bold underline under that concept of you've realized the full end game. So I really like that a lot. And then the other thing that came to my mind as you were both talking over the cross of this whole episode, Jeff, it's something you said in a podcast. I don't remember which one it was, but it's this notion of being proactive versus reactive. And I think when you stop and think about everything we've talked about today, that's really what it's about. It's about how do you become more proactive because firms are so inherently reactive. Even when they have a key accounts list, they're sort of looking and prodding for a chance for just for the client to say, this is a problem. Can you help us? And that's not really what we're trying to do here. And that's not at all what we're trying to do. And I think that's really the magic of the way you approach this, that notion of what problems do we solve well, and an assumption that they probably have these problems. And if we come in and tell them we, we can help you with those problems, they're going to listen, especially if that's a problem they haven't fully articulated yet. But when you explain it to them, they go, yeah, we have that problem. I never noticed it, but yeah, it's a major problem for us. In my mind, that's where everything comes together for the firm. If our listeners go back and listen to some of the the episodes we did on developing an intellectual capital strategy and the talk about the issues to solutions matrix and you know our conversations with people like Bob Boudet, it's what issues do you want to own? And that's what marketing is putting out there because you want to own them. And then sales comes in knowing that you own them and they have that confidence backed by that competence to actually have real substantive issue-based conversations with potential clients. And that's when firms really start hitting on all cylinders. Yeah, it's funny you got, that you bring that up because as we were talking through this, I was bouncing around in my head is do the issues that we want to own drive the account strategy or the other way around? And I don't know the answer, but I do think that frequently this type of process isn't done to define the issues we want to own. And it is probably hurting firms because they're chasing issues that may not quite fit their firm or the clients they really want to do business with, but they just haven't taken that extra step to figure it out. Jason, I think that's a great point and a great question to ask. The answer in my mind is it all begins with who's the ideal client. Yeah. And the ideal client is going to be that client that values the value that we provide and that we share what we've been talking about this this whole time, simpatico, a shared culture, a shared worldview and appreciation for the value that we bring. Brian, can you help me give him a new word for that? That word just I, I can't handle I can't I can't stand that word. It drives which, me crazy. Which word did you do which word Simp- did he loves this word simpatico? Oh man, just it's just, man. I don't think he's using it right. Anyway, I'm messing with him. Well, this was great. 
I agree with you, Jeff, even as much as I'm teasing you. Even though you didn't bring a lemur, I thought this was a really great second episode. <laughs> I mean, if you had you brought a lemur, it would have been amazing. Yeah, well, yeah, right. Except it would have been my desk that the little lemur would have been. <laughs> put yeah, a downside. And the lack of video probably would have thrown people right. off anyway. What's that noise? So I, I just want to thank you again for joining us and sharing your wisdom with us and with our listeners. It's certainly a pleasure to have you here. You know, it's something I thought about. We never even properly introduced you because we've already had you on. So people, people listeners may not actually know you. So, so maybe before you leave, you should just give, give a quick kind of like, hi, I'm Brian. And then we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll take our Or, take or our listeners out. could go back and listen to the mm-hmm. earlier episode, which was every bit as good as this one. Yeah, right. good sale, bad sale. That was a great, that was a great one. Actually. Well, uh, um, how about this? You're, hi, I'm Brian uh, Caffarelli. Uh, you're both... Again, super kind to have me on. I really appreciate it. And can I just uh, turn to thank you around for just a second? I have to tell you both, and Jeff, you know this from our personal interactions, how much I enjoy listening to these podcasts and how much I've learned from you and your guests in the past and how much I enjoy both your writing. So again, thanks. It's a real honor for me to be on because I learned so much and have learned so much from the both of you and your guests. So thanks again for having me part of this. Well, it's it's our pleasure, as you know. So it was a lot of fun and super insightful and actually incredibly helpful. So thanks for your time. And we will have you on for the third episode as long as you bring, I don't know. I will bring, I will bring, I'll bring a critter on that one for sure. All right. We'll see you, Brian. Thanks again. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.